All right, we are back. And guys, I have somebody really cool that I want to introduce you to. And uh, Paul Saperstein, and I want to tell you guys, this is one of those people that when you meet, you immediately are attracted to him. And I'm getting to know Paul at the same time you are during this interview. Paul and I don't have a longstanding relationship like a lot of the people I interview. He's not a coaching client. And, um, you know, he's – but just a little time I've spent with him prior to today's podcast, I have to say I was really impressed with how humble he was and also how incredibly successful is, he is. And so Paul's going to share with you guys how he sells 200 houses per year and how at EXP has made Icon Stats, which is a very elite group in terms of the uh, you know what you've been able to sell. So, Paul, without any further delay, I want to, A, congratulate you on all your success, and, B, thank you for being my co-host for today's podcast. My pleasure, Tim. So let them know where you sell real estate. Let them know just like and so where you sell real estate first of all, and how they can get a hold of you. It, you use your cell phone number, but I'll suggest to you that if you do, get ready for a lot of phone calls because there's literally tens of thousands of people that are going to listen to this. Awesome. And I'm a real estate agent, so I always answer my phone. I sell real estate in um, South Florida, typically Palm Beach County. For the users out there, listeners out there, that's um, basically Boca Raton through Jupiter. It's probably about a 30 to 40 square mile radius. Um, you know, there's wealthy areas down here, not so wealthy. We have a huge uh, active adult community down here. And it's um, because there's no state income tax, there's just a million, you know, million people moving in. It's just a, it's a really vibrant uh, real estate market. Very unique. I've been reading that. You guys are seeing a ton of people from like the East Coast states that are moving down there just because the taxes on the East Coast have gotten so you know crazy. Now, I, I, every day I seem to read a report on Florida in particular just being ridiculous as far as the amount of people moving down there. So you definitely chose well. Are you from the area? No, I'm actually from Baltimore, Maryland, and I came down here to uh, finish college at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, and then got into real estate by accident, you know, 20, 21 years ago. How does that happen? How does someone get into real estate by accident? By accident, that means you, when we used to have newspapers, you call off an ad. You were excited <laughs> they hired you. You didn't realize there was no salary, and it was all commission, and you had a ton of free time, and you lived a couple of miles by the beach. So you said, this is amazing. So you, so you have to figure out how to make some money. Ah, yes. So they sold you on the vision of basically being your own boss, no one controlling what your schedule is going to be, no one telling you what you're going to do, and how you can basically be financially independent. That was the story that they gave you, and then they told you the truth. <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I valet cars. I, you know, I worked at a um, pizza delivery. You know, so it was, uh, you know, I was, I was not able to start full time until you know it's going to be your career. Well, actually, there's a lot of folks that listen to the podcast that are transitioning or wanting to transition from full-time. Um, you know, they're doing full-time jobs in you know part-time real estate, and they want to. Their dream is to do what you did. How does someone, if you can remember back, which maybe you can with clarity, maybe you can't. But you know, if however you answer is how you answer. But how would you suggest someone would go from being part-time to full-time in real estate? How what would suggestions would you offer somebody? Um, Monetary-wise, they, they definitely make sure you have six months to a year of, of your bills or savings saved up so you can dive into it. The other thing about real estate, too, you can't make money quick. So if you're the type of personality that you need to see results from the first thing you've done, real estate is not for you. It's a long-term, long game. It's a career. It's not a job. If you're looking at it as a job, you probably won't make it past the first year. 
What do you mean by that? Explain. Well, not the well, well because not the, the, the make sales it part. cycle. Yeah. What's that? No, I said not the, the not sales make cycle. It part. Takes, Everyone understands that, right? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, the sales cycle could be six to twelve months. You know, you could be working on you know whatever your sphere of influence, your network, whatever it is you're doing. It, it's not going to happen overnight. You could have three deals in the pipeline, two of them fall through. You got to be able to make your mortgage payment. So there's no, there's there's no quick money. There's no get rich quick scheme in real estate. It is, you know, it is uh, not as easy as it looks on a million dollar listing. Um, you know, it, it's it's a grind. It's it's not easy money. It's funny when I started 20 years ago. When a buddy of mine called, I think it was on top of the real estate market, 2006, 2007, he was in California, and he said, Paul, I'm thinking about – he was a buddy I grew up with in Baltimore. He said, Paul, I'm thinking about coming to real, you know, to Florida to sell real estate. What do you think? And this guy's an MBA, you know, financial guy, you know, always, you know, worked always, you know, top 500 companies in the world, and he was just sick of the corporate life. And he said, what do you think, Paul? You think I can, you know, work in real estate? I said a monkey could make $100,000 in real estate. He says, what do you mean? I said, come down here and I'll show you. Now, the last, you know, since the market crashed, and I don't think it had anything to do with the crash. I think it's just a different industry now because the cream is rising to the top, where before, you know, reviews weren't as important. Your reputation wasn't important. It was just, you know, it was just a free-for-all. Everybody, you know, and their cousin had the real estate license. Everybody made a little bit of money, and it was easy. Um, but now I would say the last five years, anybody that's asked me, should I get in real estate? I actually try to talk them out of it, not because it's not a great profession, but because I, I need to know they're a fighter and they're hungry. And that's the key to making this business. I even tell my agents now that if I started in today's, you know, today's market, I don't think I would make it. And only because I, I'm not as well, now, you know, I have a successful career after 20 years, but I'm not as hungry as these new agents starting out. And you can't teach that. You can't teach motivation or hunger. It's just, you know, you're born with it. I think what you said is very accurate. And so listeners, remember, this guy sells 200 houses a year, so he knows what he's talking about. But I think what you said about um, having that sort of, like from a coaching perspective, I always tell people when they're asking, well, you know, they're trying to decide whether or not they want to hire a coach and, or what a coach is supposed to do. Like they're not clear. And I say, well, a great coach is going to help you get your fire started, but if you can't keep your fire started yourself after it's, you know, illuminated, maybe a coach will occasionally throw another log on for you. But really at the end of the day, if you're constantly needing to be motivated to do what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level, you just won't survive, you know. And that's kind of what you're saying as well. So what would be the qualities, like if there are two or three qualities you think that anybody who's – I mean, if we're still speaking, let's say you and I, Paul, are still speaking to that, your buddy who's thinking about getting into it or, you know, somebody who's listening who's thinking about going from, you know, full-time this to, you know, whatever they're doing into full-time real estate. What would be the two or three qualities? Not necessarily things they're supposed to do for lead generation or anything like that, but like yep, innate qualities that they have to have. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, well, my vision is that we're not in the sales industry. We're in the customer service industry. And if you don't think that, when you don't have a job in real estate in the next couple of years, you'll realize, wow, maybe I shouldn't be selling myself. It's a customer service industry. I think you have to be, you know, communication has got to be a 10 out of 10. Whether you have good news or bad news to tell the client, you've got to tell them. 
If they're in the dark, they're assuming it's the worst news you're going to give them. If you let them know, hey, guys, we're going to have an answer in a week or three days from now, they settle. You know, they, we're, we're changing people's lives. Sometimes we've got to give them heartbreaking news. Sometimes we give them great news. But they're waiting on that news. The people might not sleep until they hear from their real estate agent. You know, this is this is critical. You know, timing is critical, especially in today's world with Amazon and everybody wants everything. You know, yesterday you have to give whatever news you have to them immediately. Uh, persistence, but not being you know obnoxious about it. You know, you do follow up, but you know, you know, you, you don't want to sound like you're selling yourself. And really, this is inequality, but like when you, if you've ever, to all the listeners out there, if you've ever bought or sold a home before, and you look across the, and this is me as a real estate agent, when we're bringing on new agents on the te- to the team, if I'm sitting across an agent and interviewing that agent, if they're not competent enough to be my agent, they're not going to make it. So that's, that's almost our... You mean if they weren't? If you mean if you wouldn't personally think to hire them to represent you if you were a consumer, that's how you decide whether or not you'll even consider working, having them be a part of your group. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, not necessarily part of my group. That that they're not going to make it. Like if if I'm not confident that you know what, I would work with this. They're, you know, they got a great personality, good attitude. They mm. know the area. They don't have to be in business 20 years, but you know, if, if I would be willing, and you know, my standards aren't higher. You know, I, I work with brand new agents. We work with agents that are selling $100 million in real estate a year. But there has to be something that's, you know, sexy or attractive enough, not, you know, not male or female-wise, but something that makes you want to spend time with this person. A spark. they got to have spark. the it factor. Yeah. yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Can someone, uh, can someone develop the it factor? Did you have it when you got into the business 20 years ago? I don't think you can develop, no, because it looks fake. Even like when I do, you know, personal speaking engagements uh, in front of 20 or 50 or 100 people, they say, you know, the one thing we like about you, you're real. There's no fluff, and the consumer doesn't want to hear that. When you might get a call, somebody, a salesperson tried to sell me Miami Dolphin season tickets the other day. She must have asked me 40 questions about my family. I'm never going to meet the lady in person. She asked me 40 questions about my family before she was talking about the price of Miami Dolphins tickets. Now, I knew that's the way she was taught to sell, so I was already turned off. I didn't give her enough time. We ended up hanging up on her because I didn't need to tell her how old my son was and where he went to school. She doesn't doesn't need to know. So know exactly – and the key is also listening. A lot of agents aren't aren't successful because they don't listen. That's really the key to being a salesman is actually listening. The less talk you do, the better. That's really powerful. So, and it's it's weird. You're right. It's weird. People ask questions, and you know they won't listen to the answer. And you're handing you're around them. You're standing, or you're even talking to them on the phone, and you can just hear that they're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can throw in what they think, opposed to actually taking the time and slowing down and thinking about what you just said, and then maybe asking a question about what you just said. So when you said communication earlier, that's what you're talking about. Showing the person. Uh, in a sincere way that you're actually caring about what they say and doing it in such a way that you're not you're focusing on what they're saying and maybe answer helping them drill down on what they just said, right? Is that what I'm hearing you say? <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll tell you exactly what they want to do. They'll tell you I'm not ready to sign or I'm ready to sign or you know, Tim, let's let's meet next week. They'll tell you if you listen. If you have your whole you know, if you're black and white with your sales spiel, you're you're gonna miss it because you're so worried about getting the sale, you're not paying attention to what they say. So what's the difference between great customer service and selling? 
you said you're, in your mind there's a different. There's a difference. What's the what's the difference? Well, with customer service, there is no selling. You want to make people, especially you know, and I don't even ask for referrals. But when somebody's done doing business with me, they say, you know, it's a wow, the experience. All the restaurants are coming, you know, up and coming restaurants. Everything now, we've come to a world where we have to have, we have to remember the experience. And that's what we're trying to put out to our clients, buyers or sellers, that they're not going to remember how much the house sold for. They're not going to remember how long it took. They're going to remember, did they have a great experience with Paul Saperstein or did they not? And we got to be, I'd say, 90-plus percent on the positive side in order to make it in this business. How much of that um, great experience is essentially – um, and just bear with me on this word, but scripts and dialogues, essentially having a formal approach to what to say and how to say it. None. Zero. In my opinion. Explain. No. That's okay. Explain. Well, you should, you know, for example, if they tell you, first of all, you have to know what their why is. And I really was never really taught this because I'm not a natural salesperson. Um, I have a very good, you know, down-to-earth personality. Anybody can tell me anything they want, and they know, you know, I will listen I won't judge them, but if you figure out somebody's why, you'll know. Instead of trying to hit a home run and get them an extra 5000 God forbid one of their family members is sick and they have to sell the house in 30 days, don't try to be a superhero. Just get the job done. That's what I tell that's, a lot of the other right, let's agents out there. that I let's work with. Let's start off there. Well, no, you just made a really, really incredibly important point, um, and I hope the listeners heard what you just said. So I'm going to drill down just slightly on what you said. Don't mm -hmm. assume that what's important to every seller and buyer, for that matter, is money because it's very rarely money. They might, um, they might say it's money, but it's very rarely money. There's always going to be most, – most people are not motivated by money. That is not their principal driver. Even when you ask you – know, when you're trying to just you know, take the temperature of somebody as to whether or not what's most important to them about the house they choose, if it's on the buy side or whatever, they might – answer you with a financial answer, but at the end of the day, it's almost always about convenience. It's almost always about lifestyle. So make sure that you're not judging them or making decisions on their behalf through your particular set of filters that you're listening to what they say and asking more questions and drilling down. So that's a very important point. And that's 100% correct. When you're going through, and especially on the buyer side, it, you may you may point out a positive to you, which is being selfish because it's not about you, and that's exactly what they're not looking for. Now Explain you just that. talked yourself out of a sale. Explain that, please. So when I was young in my career, um, I had a mentor. His name was Fred DeFalco Sr. He, at this time, this was in the late 90s, he was probably selling 30 or $40 million in real estate, that was where, before we had internet leads and, and cell phones and, you know, it, it, you know every, there was no paper list. So everything was a grind. So he was one of the first ones in my area, in the South Florida area, to get, you know, to get internet leads. So we got an internet lead, and the customer came in, and I was a lazy 21, 22-year-old, and I said to them, are you aware this house backs to a major road? So Fred kicks me under. I only had one house to show him. It was a Friday afternoon. I didn't feel like going. Fred kicks me under the table, and he says, "Just show him the house." I said, "Yeah, but don't they? They have kids. Aren't they aware that it, it? You know, it's actually fronted to a major road. They ended up buying that house, 
And from that day on, when I was 22 or 23 years old, you, you never know where you know, you never know what's going to be important. You never know what's going to pull their heartstring. Just do your job, get it done. And even if they didn't buy that house, my relationship with them for spending 30 minutes to an hour was stronger. And that's what he was trying to tell me. He didn't care if they bought that house. He was trying to teach me anytime you can get face-to-face in front of these clients, take it. And that was the lesson that I learned very, very young. And also, it's not about being disingenuous and not telling the truth. It's about keeping your mouth shut about what your opinions are when they aren't really relevant to what matters to them. You could walk into a house and you could see like the ugliest wallpaper you've ever seen and just the horrible, it looks look like something out of a 1960s murder film or something, you know, terrible stuff. And you open your mouth and you start yapping about how this is hideous and that's hideous. But it turns out that's the exact wallpaper that their grandma had on the wall. And they're having sort of this emotional connection with it because, and, and you just talked, you just, you know, basically without knowing it because you didn't keep your yap shut, you insulted them. You know, you you hurt hurt their memory, and you could have talked yourself out of a sale, and they will probably buy that house just through another agent. So, I mean, that's really important what you said. These are all the little subtle things that uh, you know people learn the hard way, generally speaking. So, I'm curious. You um, are great at sharing. What would be the three biggest mistakes if you can look back? If we just, you know, I realize that every mistake there's, you know, if you wait long enough, there's usually a learning lesson in it. But just looking back. What would be the three biggest mistakes that if you wish you wouldn't have made, in hindsight, you could have saved yourself? If you're talking to the you of 20 years ago. Yeah. When I first started real estate, I worked the buy side for the first 15 years. And looking back on it, I think that was because on the buy side, there's not much rejection. Nobody's telling you no. It's a free service, and it's the easy way out. Um, It was only until about 15 years into my career where we had a, a, a massive financial setback where I had just had my third child, and I said, you know what? You've got to step up to the plate now. Now you've got to go after the listings. Now you've got to be a listing machine. And it takes time. It, you know, I used to never spend any money on marketing. I stepped up my marketing budget. You know, I stepped up my hours, my focus. And if you do put it out there that you're going to succeed, you will. It's just a matter of time. It, you know, and a lot of people, you know, what I do usually, I typically bring one new agent on every listing appointment with me. I have usually one listing appointment a day, if not more. And I'm not better than the next guy, but I'm probably more confident. And that's what people see when, when you know, when you walk into a doctor's office, if your doctor looked nervous or unsure, you, you'd probably hit the door running. And it should be the same thing with your real estate agent. You should know the market, know what it should sell for, how long it's going to take. And, you know, even fake it till you make it if you don't. I, I, I've been in this, you know, in this market for 20 years, so I, I know every street up and down. But if you don't, you have to fake it until you make it. Well, so I that's want you – my uh, biggest mistake was, was not starting you know, that's, that's a That's awesome that you said that truthfully because that's – every agent getting into the business, they're always told, especially nowadays in this era of buying leads, right? They're always told, well, you've got to earn your way into being a listing agent, da 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 But there's plenty of people that start out by focusing on listings. They learn how to go after the expireds and the for sale by owners. They learn how to do the – you know, why did you think in retrospect why, uh, that you – was it just lack of confidence? Is that what you're saying, the reason you didn't go after listings? Why did well, you I was, go after 20, I was 21 years old. I had never bought a house before, so I wasn't confident that I could help somebody sell their house. I hadn't even bought a house before. Um, you know, Back then, I used to play tennis seven days a week. I didn't take it serious. 
I still sold $10 million. I probably sold 40 homes a year, you know, an average of $250,000 or whatever it was. And I did it as a, as a hobby. Um, and then when life changed, you either, you know, it's 10% what happens, 90% how you react to it. And, <laughs> you know, we, we just went in overdrive and, and just been building ever since. Well, so what you said was also very interesting, is that you said that you basically were only comfortable with selling the type of real estate, maybe even the types of people that you were, in other words, what you were most familiar with based on your own personal world. And that's another thing that agents will typically do. You'll see that they won't take listings that are maybe 50000 more than their own house, right? Or they won't feel comfortable working in a different price range or a different – so they keep these their worlds very small based on their own comfort level. And that's something that listeners just hear Paul and I out. You're getting your license today, or if you've been in the business for 10 years, or you know, maybe you've only been in this business uh, in this buying buyer lead era, and you maybe have gotten addicted to the buyer leads. And look, I get it. You know, he just said it. There's no rejection. No rejection is another way of saying there's not a lot of skill needed. Working with buyers is physical labor. Working with sellers is mental labor. Well, why don't you do this since you know you want to get there anyway? Skip the step and just start focusing on sellers. Don't cast the buyers aside necessarily. But the listings are where you have leverage. Can you help them to understand that, why the listings are so much more powerful than buyers? Because believe it or not, a lot of agents don't understand that. Sure. So listings is inventory. Eventually, even if you're not such a great agent, maybe 50% of your listings will sell. If you're a great agent, maybe 60, maybe 70, maybe 80% of your listings will sell. And even if you don't sell that particular listing, 123 Main Street, if you're able to put a 24 by 30 inch sign with your phone number on a reflective sign that people can see 24 hours a day, it's free go. advertising. Yeah. Well, that was another – look, i got to jump in, man. That was another great tip that he just gave you listeners. Are you listening to what he just said? It's a silly thing, but it's so effective. Get a reflective real estate sign. There's companies that sell them so that when someone's – it's a great listing tool, too, explaining to a seller that when someone's driving you know, up the street at night, even if there's street lights and their headlights hit it, the reflective real estate sign reflect back like stop signs do, and that's going to be an attention grabber. You know, it's a free billboard in a community in a neighborhood. I mean, that's what a for sale sign really is at the end of the day. But the other thing that's nice about listings, if you have 5, 10, 20 listings, those are you've essentially you price them right, you put them in the MLS, you service the heck out of the sellers, you know, do what you say you're going to do, and then you have the rest of the real estate agents in your community that are out there on the nights and the weekends working for you. So then you can start having some resemblance of normalcy. But if you're going to build your business around buyers, you have to work when the, when the buyers aren't working, which means you give up your nights and your weekends. So when you hear people, when you see agents that are really burned out, when I hear that, it's almost always because they have not discovered the glory of working on the seller side of the business primarily because that's where you create leverage listeners. So please, no matter what, Focus all your best energies every single day on becoming a listing agent. So if someone wanted to become a listing agent, if someone wanted to pivot, let's say they're stuck in that working with buyers paradigm and they can't seem to break free of it, what would you suggest they do? I would suggest that whatever market they're in, they find out who is the best, not number two, the number one listing agent. They might be at their company and might be a different company. So I was lucky enough to have a mentor when I first started, even though I wasn't confident to go on the listing side, I still saw how it was done. The guy came, it was 90 degrees, he came in a full suit every day, he was at work the same time of day, he um, prospected the same time every day, you know, he had his church or whatever he was into at the same time, 
and he never put off his family. He always made that a you know that an appointment in his schedule as well, and he was just consistent. I mean, one of my I know we haven't talked about this yet, but you know some people ask, well, how do you how do you sell 200 homes a year? And it's all consistency. You know, you you have to you can't say I don't want to do this today. Let me do it tomorrow. One of your one of your 200 to 300 clients is counting on you doing it that day. So you know it's rare that we take a day off. Um, you know sometimes I am, am able to delegate and forward my phone, but um, I would grab onto the number one agent in your area, grab on their leg, and tell them, hey, I want to learn everything from you. Well, now, you just said some more important yeah. things. I, I, just save, please save your thought because you just said yep. three things that were really important. Number one, you said follow a schedule, okay? And when you follow a schedule, you work when you work, and when you're not working, you do what you're doing, you know, you, your family and, and your friends, example, your church. I also heard you say, you know, the schedule, but he started every day at the same time. He sounded like he ended it every day at the same time. Those are kind of the same point, but not really. But the other thing I really like what you said and I'm, he, the guy dresses for work. He dresses professionally in respect of the sellers. And that's something else that our industry has really gotten away from. You know, when you go to you, – you, Paul, you do a speaking as well. When you go to these real estate offices, you walk in there, and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way in hell that you think that's how you're supposed to professionally represent yourself. You show respect for your customers by how you treat yourself aesthetically, how you dress when you, it's an easy, such an easy way to have a competitive advantage in any marketplace. Dress professionally when everyone else is dressing like they're headed off to the beach in five minutes. So those are three really important tips that everyone, no matter where they are in their career, should always remember. So thank you for that. Didn't mean to interrupt your chain of thought, sir. No, no problem. Yeah, that's the. So when you walk in the door, if somebody is a listing agent, if somebody's allowing you to walk in the door. If you can't get that listing, you've done something wrong. Unless they're just interviewing 10 people and you have a 10% chance. If a stranger is allowing you to walk in that front door, you have to bond with them and you will earn their business. You don't even have to ask for it. By, allow, for, by them allowing you in the front door, they want to do your business. They just want to know you're competent enough and presentable enough and trustworthy and honest, and they will hand you the business on a silver platter. Um, I hear your dog to the background. That's great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, like I tell you, the last uh, person I was talking to in the background, uh, I heard this cooing of what it sounded like a baby, and it was her a bulldog's uh, having a nap. So it adds to the ambiance. <laughs> so um, this question is – I always like to ask this because it's interesting how different people will answer it. Um, so much talk nowadays is about the external threats to the real estate business. So, oh, my gosh, the iBuyer thing and the – you know. Just all these tech companies are going to basically make us into, you know, artificial intelligence robots, and they're going to somehow summon us to, you know, be like robo taxis and drive people around and open doors for five dollars. Oh, this worst case scenario, doom and gloom, apocalypse type talking with regards to our industry. Do you see any forward threats from that are really something that agents need to be taking serious from all this doom and gloom talk? It's funny. So I I picked a niche market. Um, which is the senior market in Palm Beach County, Florida. Um, the demographics that I picked will never change no matter what happens with the Internet. Some of them don't use the Internet. They're still used to um, direct mail marketing. They want to do business face-to-face. So pick whatever, whatever your niche market is. If you, if you were in the armed forces and you want to specialize with the VA or 
you like dealing with the seniors or you like the millennials, whatever, if, as long as there's an value add from the agent, then we'll always have our job. But that is why I picked, you know, the target market that I did because I'm not competing um, with other agents that are doing Google reviews and, you know, I'm I, the, the, the senior market I read in, in Inman probably a year or two ago that the senior market is the, some of the most untapped mark real estate in the, in the industry as far as doing business with. And that's, that's where I, I, I okay, put most so of my focus. Again, Paul, again, you're just like, I could talk to you forever. Um, so smart what you just said. Older people are going to be more brand loyal and less likely to want to deal with um, online technology companies because that's just going to seem too that, – that seems commonsensical. But then you said the other thing too is that the face-to-face in your – again, this loops everything in really. Your ability to communicate face-to-face will always give you the advantage over whatever you know, sort of omnipresent threat that Inman's going to be talking about that particular day. And you guys got to also understand that these tech companies are all basically trying to feed off our commission. So that's where they're all – so one of the best and easiest ways for you to make sure that they don't uh, act as a threat or get in between you and your clients is stop doing business with them. You don't need to do buy leads. You don't need to do a lot of the things that you're doing. You just need to generate, learn how to generate your own business. That's ultimately what the public wants. And, and Paul, yesterday we had somebody else on the podcast – and we were talking about, oh, this guy, he's, um, he's a guy I was telling you about in California that has you know, tattoos and all this, and he's just made icon himself, and he's just selling droves and droves of houses. Well, he just works the open houses because what he discovered was that, and this is a, a true statistic, guys, that everyone starts their search on, online, but everyone ends before they choose who they're going to work with by driving neighborhoods. So if you want to really work with the best quality buyer leads that you don't have to pay for, hey, how about this? Hold some open houses. And that's what this guy does, and he cranks them. And how does he get in his listing leads? Not only does he over-the-phone prospect, he proactively lead generates, but he'll hold houses open that are in a move-up price range because he knows whoever driving that particular neighborhood is going to probably have a house to sell. So you have to be accepting the fact that what people ultimately want is they want that connection. They want that face-to-face relationship. They so rarely do anything that involves as much stress as buying or selling a home, and they do want that connection, older people even more so. So, I mean, there's, there's so much to that. And choosing your market really is important. What are the other things you think agents should look for when choosing a market? Turnover rates, um, you know, affordability, you know, um, t- you know, whether you know whether it can be financed in that area. Like we got hit pretty hard with foreclosures in, in Florida. Twenty-five percent of the market is investors, and the reason Florida, Las Vegas, California got hit so hard is because when the when the investors leave the market there's a supply and demand problem and 25% of the market that was used to be in the market is no longer there. So, you know, it's, it's really just, it's really just um, really knowing the market, but you you really can't change where you live. I even said to any of the other agents, if I moved to a different area, I don't think I would be a good real estate agent. I don't know why, maybe it's confidence. I'm not sure why, but I don't think I would be success, as successful in a different area than I am in South Florida. Why? 
well, just now, you know, growing up in the area since I was, you know, since I was in my, you know, 20 years old, I, the consumer, the, the, the problem with the way the market's going, if we don't, and people talk about, so they sometimes they want to go directly to the listing agent. They don't want to have a buyer's agent. They think they're going to save money using a listing agent, which isn't true. Um, they they want to, they want they already have enough information. They already know what the house sold for, when it sold, what they've done. They've seen the old photos. So they don't need another person that is not as knowledgeable enough as the listing agent. So for me to start in a different market where I'm starting from zero and the consumers have a 15-year head start, I don't think I can mm -hmm. make it. And it's not confidence. I'm a confident guy, but it's I'm just too far behind the eight ball. Yeah. That's a good point. We hear this so all the time too with agents that switch from New Jersey to Florida. They they just can't make it. They they the business crumbles. You started out with um, a brokerage, a different one than you're at now. And I know you're a loyal guy. You're an old school loyal guy. So you switched to EXP Realty when and what caused you to want to switch? So I switched in October of 2018. So you know, once we got the ball rolling, it's been I've been about there about six months. I wasn't thinking about leaving. I was at Remax for 15 years. I was Remax's number one broker associate the last four years in the state of Florida, selling close to 200 homes a year. And it was funny. I went in. I, I spoke to my mortgage broker, and I said, you know, I'm really thinking about leaving Remax. He said, okay, well, there's only one place for you to interview. And I said, where? He says, Keller Williams. I said, Keller Williams? Why would I go to Keller Williams? I've really, you know, some nice people there, friendly, the whole nine yards. I went and interviewed with the, the Keller Williams guy who gave me a whole song and dance. And if I went to work at Keller Williams, it was going to change my life. And I'm not really a religious guy, but I, I, did, I didn't know what he meant. And, you know, he, I said, well, I've never seen, I've never seen a Keller Williams commercial. He said, well, you won't. I said, why? He said, we're an agent-centric company. And we spend all our money on the agents. Hmm. And, you know, I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of worried about leaving the, the, you know, best brand name in real estate. When I was there, what I thought was Remax. And he said to me, 97% of your clients do business with you, Paul, because of you. They don't care who you work for. And that was the moment. I had already, I had already heard about the EXP model. But I just wanted to, you know, make sure, do my due diligence before I jump ship, because I don't jump ship. I haven't left, in 15, you know, left a firm in 15 years. That if I left the big balloon behind, would I be able to fly? And the answer was yes, very quick. It, it, it took, you know, about a month to have my confidence even higher than it was at Remax. Well, I mean, so there you go again, saying a bunch of stuff in just conversation. And, you know, at the end of the day, that is true, though. Um, the brokerage brand anymore, the actual logo and the actual all the rest of it, for people younger and Paul, maybe, I mean, I'm interested in your take on this. I would say younger than maybe 50, doesn't really matter. Maybe even younger than 60, people really are not brand loyal anymore, not like they used to be. Um, you know, I'm 49, and I think probably my generation is maybe on the tail end of even caring about what brand. But at the end of the day, in real estate, it really is about the agent. It's about, you know, who – when Julie and I sold real estate, I remember we did this survey at closings, and we'd ask the people, 
you know, one of the questions was what brand or Tim, you know, what company are Tim and Julie with? And just as kind of an interesting thing for our own sake, and they never knew. I mean, they would rarely know that we were also Remax agents. And it wasn't a, this is not a slight towards one broker or another. It's just a fact. People do business with individuals. And so that is fascinating. So once you got over that roadblock and realizing that you were the, essentially the reason why you were successful at the end of the day, which was true, what other obstacles were in your mind about switching over to EXP? I mean, why else, you know, obviously a lot of people are in the same position as you are. You're a massive leader in your state and your marketplace. What else caused you to want, really see that EXP was the way forward for you? Well, once I once I processed the, um, you know, if you want to call it a, they don't, I, platform brokerage whatever. Once I saw it, so what I was worried about. So I have you know been in business 20 years. I did a million dollars GCI last year, and what happens is it's a hamster wheel. The more money you make, the more money you spend. I got three kids. I wanted to be able to save up for retirement. I wanted to be able to have something to leave to the kids. Uh, if I decide to stop working five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and I couldn't do that at Remax. But until I saw another model where you could do it, what you don't know, you don't know. So I, I thought Remax was the best company in the world, and it is a good company to work for. Yep. But until you knew something different, it was just like it, as, soon as, I, as soon as somebody told it to me, I knew. I said, you know what? I'm gonna open up, I want to open up a branch office in Delray Beach. I'm gone. And then it took months before, you know, Remax wanted to meet with me three times. I had to transfer 80 listings. You know, they put, you know, Remax is the number one brand in real estate on every listing transfer. I mean, they didn't make it easy. So, and we were talking, I, I worked with the seniors. So I had 80 active listings, 79 oh, wow. people, 79 out of 80 listings said, you know what, Paul, if it's better for you, we're happy for you, let's do it. One That's person awesome. who decided not to sell didn't sign the listing transfer agreement. Yeah, I mean, you know, that says a lot. That's wonderful. It tells you how good these, how great of a job you do for your customers too, Paul. <laughs> you know, but that's really important though that under, that people understand that you had 79 listings to transfer. Oy vey, that must have been daunting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I mean, listeners, that's another. You know, and I, that's a big issue is if you're in the process of. Uh, you know, moving over, and you had staff too, agents. You had you had a big to move over. That was a so. You know, as far as like um, you mentioned, really, what you're talking about is the revenue share. That's what you were just sharing with the listeners. Could, do you mind drilling down a little bit more on why that was meaningful to you? Sure, I had never heard of it in the industry before. I never knew the KW model. I never knew the difference between profit share, revenue share. Really, the biggest selling feature for me. I mean, I wake up and I read in the news every day. I had never heard of this company, EXP, and I said, if, you're, if your foot is on the radar and you haven't heard of this company, it's wide open. I mean, it's, in Florida, it is game on. So when I started six months ago, there was 800 agents in the state of Florida. Now there's 1,600. Wow. It's just once the word gets out there, and it's funny you know, that we're doing this interview. I don't know. Were you at the um, shareholders conference last week? Uh, no, we tried to go, but we okay. no. Nope. Yeah, so it was in Orlando, and whenever you switch companies, everybody, you're never going to hear the negative about the company because somebody wants you to join. I said I got to I got to figure out what there's got to be something that that people aren't happy with here, and I still haven't found it in six months. And when I met 
you know, 1,500, 1500 other fellow agents at, at the shareholders meeting, this company became more real once you actually meet the agents. Now, when you're in your own real estate office and your broker, you got 30 agents there and your broker's too busy, he doesn't have time for you. You know, to meet other agents that don't, they're not making any money whether you they mastermind with you or collaborate. And just to see the family that was put together organically, you know, all over the country was just, you know, when I left that shareholders meeting in, in um, you know, in June, June 2nd to 4th, and they announced where, where the, you know, the Vegas one, we, we booked on the way home, driving home, booked five rooms for the agents because people don't realize, you know, once they actually – can see and touch and feel. I mean, I'm sitting right next to the founder doing a workshop, Glenn Sanford. Guy's mm-hmm. probably worth a half a billion dollars. I'm sitting right next to him doing the same thing he is. I mean, you talk about boots on the ground. It is – I've never seen anything like it. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. Um, if they, what, they started in 2008 – I mean, they've been in business for like a decade, right? Longer than that, I think, maybe. But uh, they started 2018 with 5,300 agents. They ended 2018 with 16,000 agents. And now I think I read on a press release that they're tracking for like 35,000 agents uh, at the end of this year. And so they're very quick. It's the fastest growing uh, real estate brokerage brand ever, which is amazing. And they just they're in you know, every state in the United States. They're licensed in now Australia, which I read. Uh, and also England and most of Canada. I mean, it's unbelievable. And it, it is kind of fascinating, too, when people, when they start realizing it's not just about, you know, the commission splits at EXP are probably better than whatever you're experiencing now. The support you have, the technology, all that. But then you start having all the other pieces and parts coming in. The revenue share helps you to create a financial future for yourself you'd never have, unless you bought a bunch of rental properties, for example, and paid them off. Or you know, and then you in the, the the way that they do uh, equity awards, where you can actually be an owner in the company, but that doesn't even really touch on it. And Paul, you said it too. Like when you're around these people to have this future, that's not just from selling. You know, they're financially secure, or they see a path to creating passive income for themselves. That changes the context of everything, right? Because it's not just about doing more transactions. You know, the old joke is agents don't retire from selling real estate, but it's not a joke. I mean, I've had coaching clients and coaching calls and podcast listeners at 70s and 80s where they were great agents, but they, they're, you know, they had maybe two or three good years and there was a recession and they spent their savings or just some kind of financial setback. That's a normal pattern for most self-employed people, not just real estate people. But then you see what EXP has created with the different ways that agents can make money. Once you see it and you understand it, it's really <laughs> you can't not unsee you can't not see it. It just it resonates in your brain until you actually take action on it. And by the way, listeners, if you want to watch, there's a really cool seven minute video that you can watch. It kind of touches on all the high points of what EXP has to offer. Just text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. You'll be immediately texted back a quick seven-minute video, and then you're also going to receive a call, and the call is going to offer you a coaching call with an agent attraction coach, and they're going to answer all your other questions. You don't have to have the call with the agent attraction coach. You can just watch the video. That's certainly fine. So just text the word EXP to 31996. 
Um, so I'm curious, what are you looking forward to? Like what are the things that goals-wise you're thinking about for like the next 12 or 24 months for yourself? Now that you have this, you know, real estate, you're obviously amazingly successful. Now you have these different paths with creating different streams of income for yourself. Um, what kinds of things are you looking forward to because of your involvement in eXp? Well, over the next, you know, 6 to 12 months or 24 months, I'm, you know, actively growing our team in the South Florida area and all over the country where now it's just as important to make sure we, we change other people's lives and not on the revenue share part because that, that comes after time, but more, you know, making sure that the agents hit their goals and make their income levels and, you know, building it from the ground up in the South Florida area. Um, I know I'm going to make it. It's not being cocky. You know, I, I have the systems down. It's 20 years. You know, it, it's going to happen. But when you see another agent go from $40,000 a year to having a $40,000 month, I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's powerful. And that's really what yeah. we're focusing on. It is kind of a strange – so you've been successful for long enough. It is one of those things that, like, everyone always says, well, I want to get to a point where I can give back. You know, it's hard to give – it's hard to really have your heart in making contributions to other people's lives if you haven't sincerely accomplished something like what Paul has. Or you haven't become financially successful like Paul has. And then really, Paul, it is strange how when you are able to, you know – have a little tiny, you know, part of helping someone to also build a brighter financial future for themselves, and you see how they're able to leave these lives that, you know, maybe they could spoil their family, they take them to Disney World, whatever it is. They're just enjoying life at a higher level, and you just were able to contribute to that success in one tiny little tiny little way. It almost becomes more rewarding than even earning money yourself. And I, that's something that's kind of only comes with age. It's kind of odd, isn't it? If someone told you that's how you'd feel 20 years ago, would you have believed it? <laughs> No, I wouldn't. But I, I always, I always thought that way. It, it's, you know, when I started, you know, I, I really don't. We don't, we don't run it like a traditional team. We don't take any money for using any of the Saperstein Group logos, or we don't. We only take a referral fee on deals we give them. But we run it like a team. But we're just not taking the money out of their pocket, and that gives them the vote of confidence, and you know, all kinds of tools that. You know, we provide with them as well. And, and I told a couple of my agents, I'm going to make you guys millionaires. There's only a couple of you that are going to make it to be a millionaire. <laughs> but that's my goal. It's, mine that's is wonderful. not self-serving. It's, mine is, is to make these guys successful. Guys and girls. Well, but, here's the, here, but here's the interesting side stream benefit, though, right? By focusing on being of service to other people, you benefit, right? By having your heart and your soul and your efforts set on being of service to not just your clients, which you obviously do a fantastic job of, or you wouldn't have 80 to 79 people wanting to move with you, you know, but by trying to make other people's lives better, the, the direct benefit is you make your life better, where I think what I'm hearing you say, if you are focusing on just primarily yourself and not focusing on contributing to other people's lives, it wouldn't work. The formula doesn't add up, and that's something that I think everyone knows intuitively, um, but that is the truth. Being of service to other people is the highest and best use of all of us on this planet, and that's where we all feel most fulfilled and needed. And when you do it at a high enough level, you make lots of money, which is also nice. So, Paul, anything else you'd like to say to all the podcast listeners, anything that you would like to, you know, any other thoughts maybe that you wrote down while we were talking that maybe I interrupted you and didn't let you finish saying <laughs> that you'd like to pass on? No, to I just, you know, just want to, um, you know, just tell everybody to stay positive. You, you never know who you're going to run into on that. I got one more quick story. So, oh, yeah. Um, we, we were hanging out, I think it was uh, Memorial Day weekend, 
and we were supposed to go with my uh, with my wife to see her cousin she hasn't seen in 35 years. And for some, I'm a very social guy. For some reason that day, I didn't feel like going. We went there, uh, start talking to the guy. The guy was a Harvard grad. Uh, find out he's ready to buy, purchase the three million dollar condo. He has to sell his two million dollar condo on the beach. And I was this close to not going to that breakfast or brunch meeting because I, I didn't want to be not that it was going to be an uncomfortable meeting, but I didn't feel like meeting a stranger that day. And most of your business in the real estate business or even anything you do, any career, is going to be with strangers. And until you get out of that comfort zone, that's when you know you've made it, where there's no situation you're in that you're uncomfortable. You've got to push yourself every day to get out of your comfort zone in order to be successful. You know, because we are our biggest asset and our biggest you know, liability is ourself. I mean, most people cannot get out of their own way. And just stay you positive don't wait and to feel, yeah. Well, Paul, just – you don't wait to feel a certain way before you take action, right? You're not you're not just basically, oh, I don't feel motivated. You're working even when you don't feel motivated. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you don't. You, yeah, if you don't think about it, if you, yeah, I'm just a doer. Don't think. The more you think, I mean, that's some of the agents that I actually had on my team that I had to put more like in an administrative role. They, to be in real estate and be very analytical is very tough. I, I see the most successful agents. That I've met over the last 20 years, we don't think, we just do. You know, we don't make mistakes. Um, we're smart, you know, we're calculated, but we don't wonder if it's going to work. We're going to try it. This is what our mindset is. We try it. If it works, you know, one of the guys, Tony, who, who does a lot of the, um, you know, coaching for the team and everything, he said, you know what Paul does differently? He throws, he throws a bunch of shit against the wall, and whatever sticks, he keeps doing it. That's all he does different. You know, and it might be a little more yeah. tricky than that, but that's really what it comes yeah, down to. But, that, but that's the bottom line is keep moving forward and don't just wait to yeah, – what you said about the analytical types, it's true with any of the personality types, right? I mean, everyone get, is always thinking about, well, I'm going to think about this more. I'm going to do more research. I'm going to do more studying. I'm going to watch more videos. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to go to more Facebook groups. It's the getting ready to get started that's killing all of you guys. You've got enough information out there to make a decision. You just basically got to be willing to – do it. Take action. Oh, like, I'm not feeling motivated. I'm going to go to Tony Robbins. I'm going to walk on coals. I'm going to do my dream board. Da, 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 da. More procrastination. That's not what someone like Paul does. Paul just takes action, whether he feels like it or not, whether it's raining or not, whether it's you know, dogs barking in the background or not. He's going to do what's necessary every single day. And the accumulation of doing what he didn't want to do and he didn't want to do it at the highest level has made him one of the nation's most successful agents. So, Paul, listen, I sincerely appreciate you being my co-host today. Congratulations on Icon Stats. Congratulations on everything you've accomplished um, in the industry. And this podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.